This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The Speed Series episodes are straight to the point, no BS answers to listener-submitted questions. If you have a question and want it answered, submit your question using the link in the description. Thanks for listening, and good luck this season. All right, happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Latitude Speed Series Q&A. Today, I've got Ethan Eskew on the line again. Ethan, thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah, hey, Jake. Uh, we've got a good question today. I know it's one that you and I are both probably going to dive down a lot of rabbit holes uh, within the question, which is good because I think it's going to pull out a lot of detail. I love it, man. Let's hear it. Yeah, so today's question is from Trace underscore Sanderson uh, on Instagram. The question is, when hunting out of state where you don't have an opportunity to wind scout, do you still take into account your thermals and how they might swirl? Or do you hunt based off of your wind and basic thermal pool for that day and time of day? If you are still looking at how the thermals may swirl, what are the things that you look to evaluate how that might happen? Loving the content so far. Hey, thanks for the question, man. I really appreciate you asking that. This There's a lot to unpack here, right? We're going to have to separate this one into a couple segments. So let's hit the first part of that, Ethan, if you will. Yeah, so, you know, he's saying, you know, when you're hunting out of state and you don't have, you don't have the opportunity to win scout. So to anyone that doesn't know what I believe he's referring to, you know, he's, I think he's talking about if you actually go to a location with some type of marker, I'm, we use milkweed. Um, and you kind of throw this milkweed and you observe how it moves throughout the terrain. You observe different thermal pools and sinks and swirls, and you can use that to your advantage when you go back to hunt that area. Well, again, you're, you're hunting out of state, or even if you're going to a new area that you haven't had the opportunity to do that in, there are, you know, he's asking, you know, do you still take into account your thermals and how they might swirl, or are you just hunting off of the wind direction and your basic you know, up in the morning and down in the evening. So for me, you know, it's still a thousand percent trying to take into account how everything works and swirls. You know, nothing's night and day, nothing's black and white with wind and air currents and thermals. And I think 
the better understanding you have of how everything actually works, the more efficient you're going to be at placing yourself in places where you're not getting busted. And I, I'm pretty sure you're the same, but, um, you know, let's hear your take on that one, Jake. Yeah, so I'm definitely the same. I am a very in, like I do a lot of wind scouting, but I'm also very in the moment. And what I mean by that is I can go wind scout a spot 20 times. And I have areas that I've done that, you know, we can talk back and forth about specific spots where I spend a ton of time in there and I'm always throwing milkweed every time I'm in there. Like it's just, it's a part of my walking around at this point. Like I go through milkweed, like, like you do, like none other, right? We use it all the time. But what I can tell you by even like wind scouting will get you close. It It will get you closer than not doing it, but it's still not down. It's not perfect. Right. And so like right. I can wind scout all year in a spot. And the day that I go to hunt that spot, those certain conditions are going to require a different approach. Mm-hmm. It's never, I have yet in my entire hunting to, in my entire hunting career to go into a spot and have the exact same prevailing wind slash thermal conditions. And I don't know if you feel the same or not, but like every time I go in, can I be close and can I have a pretty good judgment of what's going to happen? Yes. But almost every single time I'm going in, it's a fine tuning of that. And I'm paranoid the entire time. Like when I'm accessing for a hunt, for a kill, I put all this work in, I've done, you know, all the scouting, the cameras, the checking the cameras, knowing where all the beds are at, everything else. To me, if I blow it because I'm not scent checking on the way in and making sure that my thermals are good and my wind's good the whole time, I might as well not even be in there. So for me, it's like a, I mean, you like in some of my videos or stories, you've probably seen it, but I'll walk two steps and stand for 10 minutes and throw milkweed if I have to. Like I'm that paranoid and the closer that I get to where I think I want to set up, the more that just escalates. Like it, Mm -hmm. you know, it might take me. I have multiple setups that I can think of over the last couple of years that has taken me an hour to close the last 50 yards. And that a lot of that is a, like finding the exact tree, like I'm listening for acorns and everything else. But a lot of that is throwing that milkweed and making sure that as that milkweed pulls up the hill because of my thermals, because a lot of my sits are just off wind of where I think the bedding area is. Like a lot of times I'm, as I'm getting closer, it's starting to get like it's starting to matter more and more where your scent's going. And so I'm throwing it and I'm watching it. And, you know, you'll get like that surging effect throughout the day sometimes. And so I'm like this time it surges and it pulls up, but it still pulls up 50 yards off wind. I'm like, okay, I'm good to go another 10 steps. And I go another 10 steps and I sit there and I do the same thing. And then when I'm setting up my stand, I'm doing the same thing. You know, I've had it where like the elevation that you're at in a tree makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. on your thermals. And this is all based on time of day, temp, uh, leaf cover, all these other factors that are only going to be relevant in the moment. You know what I mean? So like wind mapping is great and it is an absolute must. And I utilize it a lot for access, but I definitely 100%, even without wind mapping, will have to go into the area and be in the moment. And so for me going out of state to answer the question, I know I went down a rabbit hole, but to answer the question for me, if I haven't wind mapped a scout, I almost treat it the exact same as I do when I have wind mapped. Like my process doesn't change much because I'm I'm so analytical about that. That that to me is like the number one thing going through my head. Like don't make noise, but if you get smelled, it's over. So it's just I'm hyper focused on that the whole time. Yeah. So for me, it's it's super similar. And for me, on the wind scouting, it's so variable that I typically don't use it as a precursor to a hunt. Almost never nowadays. Um, I used to, but like you said, 
it changes so much at different with with different variables, different days, conditions, times of year, and everything. So I typically don't even use it as a precursor for me, you know. So I do that less than you do. What I will do is if I'm in in an area that I know is a really good really good spot to kill, but I'm not making my wind work, then I will make a note. Okay, I'm gonna try to find a similar time of year and conditions and come back outside a season and I will spend three hours in here until I find I'll climb eight different trees at different heights and go through a dozen pods of milkweed trying to find a, a tree that will work. So that's kind of how I use wind mapping. So personally I agree it doesn't really change my approach. Um and I think one thing to point out here too is it depends on the time of year too, right? Because like Early season sits where we're very close to bedding and it's, you know, it's a, we're running like the edge of being busted or not. I feel like it's a lot more important. But for me, like when I get in a rut situation and I'm set up on a hog's back above a leeward ridge and I'm in between two doe bedding areas that are 200 yards apart a piece, like to me, I'm still, I'm still checking my scent on the way in and like, you know, throwing milkweed. But to me, it's like, as long as my wind's blowing over the top of the ridge or out over the hog's back, depending on the exact setup, that's all I really care about. Like I'm not right. as hyper-focused on it because it's not like, it's a different scenario. You know what I mean? And the other thing to mention here too, and I think that you're going to see a lot of this this year being out in Missouri now is like hill country thermals and wind currents are just a different animal. And same thing with mountain thermals and wind currents where you get into some of this flatter farm country or into like swamp country or marsh country. And a lot of times like a, a straight line wind will, you know, to an extent be a straight line wind. And there's a lot of things that can still happen there, but I don't feel like, I don't, I don't want to say it's not important at all because it's still very important. There's still a lot of factors like cold water versus hot water and running streams and uh, the edge of timber where it'll tumble back over, you know, it'll do that little sucking effect, like on the edge of a field, yep. a lot of factors, but I don't feel like it's as critical as when you're set up over top of one of those beds in the Hills, because the thermals in the Hills are just, you know how it is. It's like a washing machine yeah. if you get in the wrong spot. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think it's, you know, that, that plays into the question, Jake, you know, he's saying when you're going out of state and you're thinking about this, so maybe it's a little more crucial to do if you're hunting a bed early season or if you're hunting a bed, I would say it's probably even more crucial if you're hunting a bed late season because now that deer is super wired, super turned on, um, you know, you're now there's less foliage. I mean, everything, it's, it just becomes a little more critical in my opinion. Um, and obviously, you, you know, we're not saying that you can cheat the wind in the rut. It just, I agree with you. You know, I've hunted, I'll hunt spots, man, that it's, it's a travel hub during the rut. And I know for a fact that, Hey, you know, this, this route coming to me is toast, but I don't care because I've got four other routes coming in from different directions. And the next day it might switch 180 and I might hunt it again. And I know that now this route is toast, but you know, the one that, you know, it's like, it just depends. Um, but again, I think that it doesn't change where we hunt or how we hunt not having wind scouted it before. You know, going back to the original question, I don't think it does for me or or for you based off what you're saying. And, you know, he's also asking in the, in the second part of this question, if you're looking at how the thermals may swirl and, you know, we're he's asking how to evaluate that. We kind of touched on some of those things. 
um, already. But to dive deeper into that, because I think that's what we're doing no matter where we're going, where we're hunting, when we're hunting. I think we're always looking at how things are going to, how the air is going to travel, whether it be via wind, via thermal, via swirl, you know, and it's always all of the above typically. So there's a lot of things to look for. So, I, you know, Jake and I have both hunted a lot of hill country. So we have a lot of hill country experience. And I would say, I would agree that the wind is super, super tricky in the hills. Um, so I'm going to let, I'm going to hand that to you and just kind of explain a handful of things that you look for that you know are markers per se. Like you see this, you think the wind's going to do this. But if you see that, you think the wind's going to do that. Like give some common examples that you've ran into before. Yeah, I can definitely do that. So I'll start with access. If I'm accessing a system, a lot of times, say I'm going up a drainage and the, like, let's, let's say a hub system, right? And that's just because that's my bread and butter where the main ridge runs north-south. And then you have these sub ridges that jut out towards the east. So when you're walking up that drainage, you're going to have one hill that's facing dead north and you're going to have one hill that's facing dead south. Well, I know from from just experience that in general, the majority of the time, that south-facing hill that has the sun on it is going to pull your thermals up like a madman, and that north-facing hill that's shaded isn't going to have as much thermal pull. So what I'll tend to do on my access into those spots is I'll hug that south-facing slope as much as possible just to, just to ensure that my thermals are sucking up that south-facing slope. You know what I mean? So like, so I know the deer's bedded on the north side and I know that I'm beating his nose at that point. So I pay a lot of attention to that for a hub system in general, like I just explained. So the main ridge, north, south, sub ridges jut out to the east that creates that C and you're walking up the drainage. For me, if I find one of those and it's got a creek in it or a stream in it that is draining out the direction the wind is blowing. So let's say that you have a south wind for the day. If the drainage is running to the north, I know that typically my wind is going to blow out that drainage. And as the night progresses and the sun goes down, you're going to have even more of a thermal pull with that creek pulling your scent out of there. And so I pay a lot of attention to that. And I really don't even hunt those areas unless I have the specific wind direction that I'm looking for. You know, if you go into a hub system on a crosswind, all of a sudden you have a swirling wind in there. And what it does, it just hits, it'll swirl around and it'll take your scent and it'll throw it up all those ridges. And it's going to climb right up those ridges right to that deer. And even on the north slope, if you have a stiff wind and your wind gets high enough up on that ridge, it's gone, man. It's a it's a lost cause at that point. And he's going to smell you. So crosswinds in hub systems are bad news. If you can find a system or a ridge where the wind is is blowing, like I would say within 30 degrees of the direction of that ridge or drainage, you're going to be doing pretty good. If you get beyond that and you start to get into that crosswind, you're going to have a lot of problems. So I avoid those like the plague if I can. So just Jake, real quick, I'm going to interject just to clarify to make sure that I'm understanding what you're saying. So if you hold your hand out and it's like a C and you imagine these ridges pointing into the middle of the C and that's your hub system, you're referring to a crosswind as, or so not a crosswind is going in and out of the open part of the sea, right? In and out of the open part of the sea. A crosswind is like coming over your thumb and going towards your fingers or vice versa, right? So if you're if you're making a sea with your hands, that's what you're referring to as a crosswind. You're going 
up and down the sea instead of in and out of it. You want your wind to be coming out of the sea is what you're looking for when you're hunting these areas. 100%. Thank you for clarifying that. And that's such a good visual representation, you know, doing that sea thing. It's just like, okay, that is definitely the sea of the hub. And then where it's open between your thumb and your pointer is the way the drainage should be facing. And you want the wind to blow that way. So like when I'm scouting areas, I try to scout those for each wind direction when I'm out of like specifically out of state. I try to have multiple setups and multiple hubs that face different directions in case I get like a north wind. Just because I'm such a, I just know that if you have the crosswind or the wrong wind in there, it's just bad news and you're going to get busted. The deer are too smart for that. So, so I pay a lot of attention to that. Um, the next thing that I pay a lot of attention to in the hills, as far as thermals go is, well, we, we kind of touched on it would be your creeks and streams. So I can think of a bunch of times that I've had the wind in my favor, and this is actually the opposite. This isn't necessarily a hub. This is being in hill country where you have a decent sized Creek. And I've been up in elevation where I think I'm going to kill the deer because my thermals are rising throughout the day. I did this a lot when I was younger. And what the deer would do is he would enter I guess it's happened to me in hubs too during like rut situations, but he enters from downstream and all he does is walks down to that creek and just sticks his nose out. The wind's hitting you right in the face, right? Like your wind and your thermals are pulling right up that elevation just like they should, but the your scent from that creek, it's just traveling an inch or two above that creek, above that water, and it's blowing down through there and he catches that. And I've got busted by that a lot and I'm sitting there in the stand throwing my milkweed like, what is happening? You know, I didn't understand it for a long time and I've actually talked to a lot of guys that I just have a lot of, a lot of respect for in the hunting community. Um, Bo Martonic is one of them that really like helped me understand what was going on here. And he talks about that a lot with those streams and you got to play that into a lot of things. Like if you're even access wise, if you cross the wrong stream and it blows your scent down through there and the buck is bedded in a bottom or if he's down low, he could get you for sure. So I just know that in general, the water is going to try, is going to carry your scent path. It doesn't mean in the entire system, but there will be enough there to where a deer can detect you. And these big old KG bucks, a lot of times will come in downstream based on that. And they just know to stick their nose down, whether it's, I don't know how they learned that, whether it was drinking water and they smelled danger or what, but it's something they picked up on. Right. And I would, I would add to that and say that in my experience, that effect happens at a higher degree when you have a larger difference in temperature between the water temperature and the air temperature. So if it's, this is like an extreme example, but if, if it's a 70 degree day and this is a mountain fed spring stream, so the water temperatures 45 degrees, you know, it's cold water to me. In my experience, that's going to pull a lot harder um, because that that cold water is cooling the air next to it and cool air sinks. So you're actually getting a, a miniature thermal pool right at the water level. So you're pulling air down quickly because the water's so cold, but then the water is moving it away. So you're pulling air, which is anytime you pull air, you create some type of suction or some type of vacuum and a suction or a vacuum then moves more air. So the colder it is and the faster the water's moving, the more air it's pulling, the higher degree suction it's creating, which means that more likelihood or higher degree that your scent is going to travel along that creek. And if you know that, you can use that to your advantage at times, or it can absolutely, you know, shoot yourself in the foot by not knowing it. Yeah, that's a great point. And so so I do have two more examples here. And the one is you're in a hub system again, just like the one that I already talked about with the sea. If you have the wind blowing the direction that you want it to, 
but it's too high of a velocity. So say that instead of that five to eight, you get like a 15 to 20 or a 20 to 25, it'll actually blow over top of that system. And it's like a Venturi effect. You know, you have a, you have airflow that actually creates a vacuum. And what it'll do is it'll create a vacuum and it'll actually suck your scent right up into that system. So even though the wind is prevailing the right direction, that gust of wind acts as a vacuum and pulls your scent the wrong way. And I got busted like that a couple times on that big typical. And yeah. it just, he, he kept blowing my mind. Like every time I would hunt that deer, it was something else that he would just figure out. And I was like, man, this deer is, this deer is just plain and simple smarter than I am. And the other example, I think that you can relate to this one a lot, Ethan, would be if you're, so there's two different examples here. And like, say that you're hunting a hub system and the bottom of the hub is the same elevation as everything around you. So let's, let's say that that hub runs out to ag, right? Well, if you just have a valley that is the same elevation as as the hub system that you're hunting, you'll get your thermals dropping at night, right? But eventually there's so much cold air down low that the thermals quit pulling and they almost start to pool up. And then you'll get like this weird surging effect right before dark. And I've noticed that in hill country a lot where they'll, they'll pull good for a while, but eventually that thermal pull weakens. It never fully stops, but it'll weaken a lot because you, you, the bottom is full of cold air. But on the flip side, if you're in mountains and you're in a hub that's way up on a mountain, like let's say you are on the upper third of this mountain and it's five miles downhill, right? Like it just, it drains out, like you lose elevation for miles and miles. If you're in a hub like that, what I've seen is that all night long, your thermals are dumping hard because they never have the opportunity to pool. They mm -hmm. continue to fall lower and lower and lower. You never get that same amount of cold air in one location. Does that make sense? Have you seen that? Yeah, I, I've seen it weak and I, I've never thought about it in that exact sense, but I think what you're saying makes sense. And I don't know if I'm correct on this, but when you say that, I can think of a couple specific spots and examples that, you know, you and or I have hunted and they seem to be somewhat tighter bottoms. Um, you know, they fill up quicker per se. Yes. Like you said, if you've got a bottom that then empties out to more downslope, or you're hunting on the edge of a huge bottom that takes a long time to fill up, then I don't necessarily see that. Um, and I think it also depends on how far up off the bottom you're actually hunting. So if you're hunting 20 yards from the actual bottom of a tight bottom, it's going to fill up very quickly. But if you're hunting, you know, midway up a very large hill, then I've seen it not stop, you know, until well after dark and, you know, you're out of there. So again, it's situational, but that's a good point to bring up and a good thing to think about. If you're if you are hunting close to that bottom, you may not get that strong pull all the way to the last second of shooting light. Whereas if you're higher up on the hill, I think you have a higher likelihood of probably experiencing that hard pull all night. That's what I've seen, anyways. I I completely agree with you there. And so the like my thought process with giving all those examples and then giving those two at the end, where you're like, okay, you know, just like plain and simple, the size of the floor to ceiling is going to make a big impact on what kind of pull you're getting. The whole idea of me saying that is just really to say like, it's, it's impossible to generalize. Like there is little nuances that you can, that you can assume are going to be right and you'll be close. But in general, there's so many factors that are outside of our control to take into account. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, like regardless of your wind mapping, I would say if I'm talking to myself, I'm like, regardless of how much work you put in wind mapping, just make sure that you, that you stay in the moment with it. Don't lose sight of being in the moment and don't just assume anything in the deer woods because the minute you do that, you're going to be wrong. Right. And I, and I would agree. And I, I think we should maybe touch on some examples that aren't hill country specific, even though that's, 
the the greatest of you and I's experience, you know, we've both hunted a like you've hunted a lot more marsh and swamps than I have. Um, and the swamps and marshes that we have hunted are vastly different from each other. You know, we've both hunted some ag country. You know, we've both hunted mountains, both eastern and western mountains. We've hunted, um, you know, I've hunted prairie, you know, where it's very different. Um, and I think the biggest, there's a couple fundamentals that you have to realize. And it, it's easy to break down in hill country. Like if you have a north, north-south ridge and you have wind coming from the west, it's going to come over the top on that leeward side and it's going to kind of swirl same thing with a rock and a stream you have a real fast stream and you've got a rock in the middle you're going to see that eddy behind it well that if you look at the water behind the rock that that water is is very turbulent it's you have a lamp you know you have laminar water coming into hitting the rock and turbulent water behind the rock water and air essentially act the exact same in fluid mechanics so it's a very good example to look at a rock in a stream and see how that water behind the rock is actually swirling it's very turbulent it's not it's not patternable it's it's turbulent so that's what's happening with your air when it's swirling over a structure and that structure in hill country can be a ridge or a hill um but outside of hill country whether it be you know if it's marsh or farm if you have a big block of woods and you're traveling across a field or it's traveling across a, a cattail swamp and now boom you hit this tall stand of thick trees now you're gonna have that's another obstruction so if you're on the leeward side of that you're gonna get that swirling effect or if you're on the prairie and it's just shooting across um, this wide open grassland and then you've got one of those little chalk cutouts that's six feet tall you're probably going to see mule deer bedded up against it because number one, they're going to be in the shade. And number two, you're going to get that micro swirl right there behind it. Um, so that's just a very fundamental understanding of air current of, of air currents and the swirl that happens And that swirl. It gets more aggressive, more turbulent, and even less patternable, the higher the wind velocity is. So if it's a 10, 15 mile an hour wind and you're on the back side of the ridge, to me, I've seen it be a little easier to deal with than if it's 30. You know, if it's super windy and you're right on the back side of a sharp ridge, your wind is going everywhere. And I, I hate those scenarios personally. But, um, you know, that's just kind of a, a super basic understanding of, of, of how wind and air and thus your scent will travel over obstructions with the wind. So, I mean, can you think of any other super basic, or, or not super basic, but any other examples that would maybe play into other specific terrains or habitats that would be applicable to guys? So, I mean, you could even go as far as like boulders in mountain country. I've ran into that a lot where you'll have a ridge and it'll have like big boulders on it and it'll have the same effect. And you'll see the deer bedded on the backside of it. And if you hunt near those, like I have a couple spots where I'm almost in like a boulder field. Like it's just like, you know, probably 10 or 15 acres of these big giant 30 foot tall boulders. It's a nightmare to try to get your wind or scent to do anything that you want in there because you have a lot of shade, you have hot rocks, you have the wind blowing through and swirling, you have thermals coming up and they're doing the same thing, but the opposite direction. Those are just kind of nightmarish to me, to be honest with you. It's kind of a nightmare scenario. But what I've noticed about those spots is the deer absolutely love bedding in there. And I think that, A, it's good back cover. There's a lot of shade for them. But I think that the wind is just so ridiculous in some of those that they just, they can smell anything around and they just feel super comfortable there. So that's an area that I've seen that before. Um, we discussed water. You know, water is obviously a huge, a huge factor with thermals and 
typically it's going to be in areas that unless you're in the mountains or the hills, like it's going to be in areas where most people aren't thinking about their thermals, but it still does have a huge effect. And to me, like a lot of it has to do with the, just the access side of it. Like I, I try to, if I'm around water or a stream, I try to access from downstream the direction the water's flowing from that buck. I very rarely would I ever want to, like, especially in lowlands where the deer are bedded in like an oxbow close to moving water. Well, if you access from upstream and that's cold water on a hot day, your, your scent's going to travel right to that deer if he's bedded close to that water downstream. So like, I look at it from an access standpoint a lot too. And that's where I think wind mapping in general will help you more than anything else. I think the specific kill tree or the specific hunting scenario is going to need to be real time in intel as much as possible. I think wind mapping for me is more utilized for my access. It just like I can generalize access a lot better than I can generalize a kill tree because I don't have to be right on the money. I just have to be close. You know what I mean? But but to answer your question, I think that those are those are pretty much the big ones for me. I mean, anything that I really would focus on. And I would say with water, it, it standing water and running water is a really big difference for me because if you have standing water, I have seen where you can get it, this is more of an early season deal especially like early to mid season where you can get some of those standing water pools that are really warm water and now you have the opposite effect where the air you might have a big cold front move in but you know air cools a lot quicker than water and heats up just the same um so if you have a big cold front move in and you've got this shallow really warm standing water it's going to have a, a, a thermal pull up because it's warming the air next to it so if you hunt if you hunt right next to that you know I've seen my scent suck to that warm water in the evening because the air around me is sinking, but the air on the water is rising. So it's, again, it's pulling, you know, every time, anytime you're moving air, you're creating some type of vacuum. So the, the warm air is rising off that water and it's sucking the cold air from around the edge of the water towards the water so it can keep pushing it upwards just because it's warmer. So if you're 10, 20 yards off that water, you know that your scent, you don't know, but you can guess that your scent and the last half hour of daylight is probably going to drop and then it's going to work towards that water, which you can really use that to your advantage sometimes. Or if the trail you think the buck's going to take is between you and the water, you know, you might want to reevaluate that. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's, I've seen that in like little swamps in the bottoms of hills and marshes and swamps. And, you know, another good example would be like, Say you have a beaver dam and there's a trail 20 yards off that beaver dam where they're crossing a creek. You're in a rut situation and the water's warmer than the air. Say that you have a north wind for the day and the north wind is blowing your scent towards that warm beaver dam. It's just going to push your scent. Like you're, the prevailing wind's pushing your scent to the beaver dam. The beaver dam's pushing your scent up in the air and the prevailing wind is catching that and just it's gone. It's absolutely gone. So a lot of those situations, you're just 100% bulletproof with your wind. You know, it's a very, very good spot if you can find those for like, but like you said, the water for that situation is going to have to be warmer than the air. Yeah. And I just wanted to clarify that. So it's not, it's not heard that, you know, water's always cold. Water always pulls your scent down, which I, I, I tend to find being more common, but there are exceptions where that water is super warm and the air is colder. Um, and it can have the reverse effect, but still, you know, typically no matter what I'm finding that if it's colder or warmer, that it tends to be pulling your scent towards it. 
you know, so if you're hunting next to a bigger body of water or moving water, I like to be closer to the water shooting outwards. Uh, I don't typically like to be, have the, the, you know, target animal anticipated, anticipated travel be between me and the water. That's just always been a, a recipe for bad news for me. I completely agree. Well, hey man, I think we knocked this one out of the park. A lot of examples and, and some good chatting around that. So, uh, I think that's it for today's show. Thank you for the question. If you guys have any more questions, feel free to reach out and we're just going to keep knocking these out every week. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review, and we will see you next Monday. All right. See you guys. See you with the next question. Cool, dude. I think that's awesome. That one was a little, that was more difficult because there's like that one almost, we almost needed like bullet points. And I feel like that's the first one that I felt like that where we normally just can roll with it, but that's such a it's such a big topic, dude. Like it's Do you still take into account all these wonky ways the air is going to react or do you just look at wind direction up down? Which I would never do that and I and you wouldn't either. So I took it as like just trying to say, no, yeah, definitely you want to take into account how everything's going to move and work and shift and just, you know, give examples of of things that, you know, I mean, there's just so many weird Oh, dude, yeah. it's it's literally like, like another big thing that we didn't touch on was humidity um, yeah. and barometric pressure. I mean, we could I look at all that when yeah. I'm trying to figure out how I think the wind's going to move. I had a dude. big talk with uh, Justin on humidity. He's got he's got he's paid more attention to it, I think, than anyone I've ever talked to. And I, I feel like I've paid attention to it quite a bit. But um, he's like, man, he he says that it's. You can be in the exact same spot with the exact same deer, the exact same wind, and if it's 100% humidity, you're going to get busted twice as much if it's 50% humidity. Like, it's just, it's super interesting, but it makes sense because if you look at, like, hunting dogs and, I mean, have you it hunted just, with dogs before? I haven't, no, but so are you thinking, like, the amount of water mo- molecules in the air, just, there's that much surface area to catch scent? Yeah. Like, is that what's going through your head when you, when you yeah. think about that? Okay. Yeah, because if you hunt with dogs, man, that's that's actually a super, super good tool to understand how animals smell. Because if you're hunting on like a dry, windy day, you know, like we've we've hunted rabbits before where we'll jump a rabbit and like the dog will lose the trail. Like we'll, like we'll put, we'll be like, hey, you, we jumped the rabbit literally right here. Like we'll shove your nose in the leaf it stepped on. <laughs> you know to start and it'll go like 30 yards and be like i i I lost it guys you know but if it's like damp out if it's like damp and not windy that dog can run that rabbit until it dies like it will never lose the scent do you think that's part of the reason like it's not the sole reason but do you think that that's part of the reason that that after like a storm front rolls through you have better deer movement and better mature deer movement because of the humidity. Do you think that's playing a factor in that? You know, I've never thought about it from that perspective. I don't know. I've never, I've never wondered that. Um, I've always is, thought of this it. This is going to be in the show, by the way, because we just, this is gold. So let's just keep rolling. <laughs> I, I've never, I've always thought of after a storm, them just being like hunkered down and you know, kind of uncomfortable and then it, it stops and they want to, you know, shake their fur off and just get out and move around. You know, it's like, oh yeah, finally that's over. But now that you say that, you know, I would say that it might contribute to it. Just like having the wind in his favor 
you know, I think that a lot of people can attest to the fact that you'll see earlier movement or better movement or just more confident movement from a buck when he feels safe. When he, you know, like if he's betting somewhere and he can smell behind him all day and look in front of him and then get up and go to where he smelled all day, like he's probably going to move a little more confidently. Well, if, if it's wet out, you know, if everything's wet and it's high humidity, now he can smell even better. Because I'm telling you, my experiences with hunting with dogs is so eye-opening as to how much better they smell when it's wet or damp out. Now, if it's like raining, like a hard rain, then they can't smell as then it washes the scent away, right? But like wet ground just holds scent like it, it just incredibly well. And even snow, it, you know, that's interesting. Snow is even more interesting because if you if you rabbit hunt on like super super dry powdery snow, they sometimes will even lose tracks in that. You know, it's not as not as common as like super dry windy days, like where the sun's out and it's just baking. But um, we've ran them in like super dry powder snow, and they've not track. They've not been able to follow the track as well. But if you hunt them in like if you hunt them in that kind of like slushy snow, you know what I'm talking about? Where like yeah, the snow's yeah, yeah. pretty kind of wet. Oh man. Yeah. You like that dog will never lose that, that scent. If it's, if it's a decent dog, I mean, it's, they'll, they'll be on that thing forever. So I try to translate that into my deer hunting, you know, by saying for me, especially a ground scent thing, like if it's super dry, then I don't really worry about it as much. But like if it's a wet snow, if it's a wet snow, I worry about my ground scent. I really do. And I don't worry about ground scent that much personally compared to a lot of guys. But if it's a wet snow, I really take it into account. Or okay, if it's- so let me, let, me, let me ask you this real quick. So everybody hangs trail cameras in the rain, right? Or checks them in the rain. But if you're checking them at the, like, as the rain is stopping, is that more detrimental than if you check them on a dry like, yes, day? Yes, I believe so. Holy cow, dude. I mean, I'm mess- I've done that a hundred times where it's like the rain's dying i believe it is for sure because dude i'm just saying like rabbit hunting on a beagle or a pack of beagles is eye-opening you know because like you just look we don't understand smell like we we think we understand it but we don't understand it but like you can watch these dogs run rabbits and i'm sure it's the same and i've got buddies that run uh, run bear hounds and um you know coon hounds and it's the same like if it's wet ground, I mean, dude, dogs can just smell so much better. It's insane. So 100%, like, I would I would rather 100 times over on, like, a sunny, dry, windy day, hasn't rained in a couple weeks, I would go in and check a camera and be like, they're not even going to be able to smell me tomorrow. Like, you know, but if it's if it just rained a bunch and it's going to be overcast for the next, like, four days... Dude, I bet you they'd smell you four days later under those conditions. You know, it's just, you know, water carries scent and it holds scent, you know, and it's, I guess I don't know if it's hold or carry, but I know that from my experiences hunting with dogs, it's, it's super eye-opening, you know, and it's, it, it does, like, if it's, like, again, if it's sunny and it's dry as concrete and it's 25 mile an hour winds, like, I don't care at all about my ground scent. Like, I would go tap dance in the scrape that I think the buck's going to go in, and I really wouldn't care that much because I'd be like, dude, if he comes in four hours, he's not going to smell me. But if it's wet out, and like I said, especially that wet snow, I mean, they can smell that for a long time. My head's just, 
my head's spinning right now. Well, well, hey guys, um, we're gonna we're gonna actually end the show this time. So I'm gonna leave the last outro in there because you kind of got a behind the scenes of what normally happens. Like we get off of these podcasts and we go down some crazy rabbit hole that we should have been recording the whole time, and we just happened to catch it and not press unrecord today. So Ethan, once again, man, thanks for uh, hopping on today and doing this and. Thank you guys for listening. You've already heard the outro, so this is the end of the show, but I hope you have a good rest of your day. Ethan, see you next time, man. Went down one last rabbit hole about (laughs) rabbit hunting. Who would have (laughs) thought? I love it. All right, guys. Catch you next week. See you guys.